There's a number of different types of news that we can give to people. There's entertaining news. Students, I'm sure you have a lot of different stories that you could share. There's informative news, just the basic ways and, and things of the day. There's also impressive news. These are the things that we share that, that are genuinely impressive. Often when we share stories about ourselves, maybe we make ourselves one of the main characters and impress others with that news. But the news that we see today in this passage that Ryan read for us, it's transformative news. Of all the different types of news and the stories that we could share, we see in this engagement between an in-law, and there's no joke in this relationship of an in-law joke. These men honor and respect each other. They care for each other. But the news that Moses chooses to give is not impressive news. It is rather transformative news. It's good news. As we see in this big idea that bad news may travel fast, but it fades. Entertaining news, informative news, impressive news, it, it always ultimately fades. But good news, particularly good news about who God is and what God has done, it is transformative. This is good news for us this morning. My hope and realization is that many of us in this room and many of those watching at home have family members that are far from the Lord. They're not walking with Him. There's no sense of a desire to know Him or to walk by His Word or abide in Him. My prayer in that way and my hope for you is that this text this morning might indeed be encouraging. It might be insightful for us and embolden us to want to be willing to not silo our lives from family, but rather because we love them, would want to share with them the transformative news, this good news of who God is and what He has done. And by the glory and the kindness of God, the joy of knowing those things would spring forth from their life and flow from their lips, just as they do in Jethro's life when he comes to a more complete understanding of who the Lord is, the good and faithful, loving God of Israel. Now let's look then, as we notice the first four verses this morning, as we look at three components of this good news, is that though Moses' father-in-law is literally distanced from the Lord, Jethro is not in Egypt as all these things have happened. Jethro is not now on the other side of the Red Sea. He didn't go with them as the Lord led them. He's never seen the presence of the Lord by pillar of fire at night or cloud by day. And yet the Lord has been working on Jethro well before this interaction. Now Jethro, besides having the most southern name, southern sounding name in all the Bible, all right, you can't, I mean, you, you, I don't know about you, but as I, I mean, you kind of come across this, you're kind of like, huh? Wait. Okay, Zephora, that sounds like an Old Testament name. Jethro, that sounds like Deep East Texas name here. But it's true. So Jethro, as he comes to this, who is he? He's a priest of Midian. We actually met him earlier in Exodus chapter 2. Jethro is, is someone who's uh, multifaceted. He's dynamic in his leadership. He's a priest of the Midianites. And the Midianites chase the, uh, trace their genealogy actually back to Abraham. If you remember in Genesis, when Ishmael is sent out, it's actually Midian who's connected in this that goes with them. And this becomes the Midianites. So if we're reading, if you're in your Bible reading plan, and you get through Genesis, and you, you remember Midian, and then you now come to Exodus, and you're reading, you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. These are the descendants of the people that Abraham kicked out of that area that went east 
Now they've grown into a mighty people, a fierce people, a people that we'll read about in the book of Numbers that actually were great warriors, a people that were very unethical also in their treatment. They will have many battles with Israel in the days to come. But at this point in time, as we consider who Jethro is, he's a man who's respected. He's dynamic. Not only is he a respected priest of the Midianites, but additionally, he's the guy that owns this huge flock that that Moses took care of after he fled from Egypt. So he's an entrepreneur. He's got all of this land. He's got all of these livestock that are dependent and needed for the people to be able to eat, but also animals that would have been sacrificed to the gods of the Midianites. So here he is, even though he's not physically close in proximity to what God is doing, the news of the plagues has been going out like a wave that's come out from a still pond. As we talked about the purpose of the plagues, if you remember one of the primary purposes of the plagues that God worked is that like a still pond, each ten of the strikes were like this huge stone cast in that would send waves throughout all of the earth. And as that news went forward, it shook the unbeliever's heart. That's what we see in the Canaanites, the land that God will give of the promised land. The news will reach Rahab and will reach them and will shake them, preparing the ground for Israel to come in. But before it reaches all the way up here to Israel, first it will hit the Midianites' land. And that land has come forward to speak of the bullet points of the things that God has been doing in Egypt. These people that don't have a land, these people that were an enslaved people for generations, these people, their God is striking the land in a way that's unexplainable. People are dying from hailstones. These unbelievable, never seen before climactic events in human history are striking. And the waves of each of these, probably on the trade routes, is spreading throughout all the area. And that news is reaching Jethro. And Jethro hears about these things. He's becoming generally aware of what God has done and is doing. That's what the Scriptures say here in verse 1. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. If we were to summarize the things that he had heard, he had heard of these major news story events, the bullet points, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. This would have been the nuts and the bolts. This would have been the plagues that happened. This probably would have been the judgment and the death of a great number of Egyptian soldiers in the water. The point is the news has reached Jethro well before Moses has ever seen him to talk to him about it. His sons are named in such, as you see, that uh, Jethro and Moses, their lives are brought together and Jethro's heard about this God. As a matter of fact, now he's gathered back to the mountain. So if you remember, here they were out here tending to the sheep. And Jethro comes to this mountain, and this is where the, the, the bush that's burning but not consumed, where the Lord first speaks to Moses and commissions him. God, in that interaction, allows Moses to go back in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 4 to speak with Jethro and say, listen, I can't tend your sheep. He tended his flock for 40 years. And he comes and tells him, I must go back to my people to see if they're dead. And the final words that Exodus 4 that we see that Jethro ever gives to Moses, perhaps in Jethro's mind, the last words he'll ever give to his son-in-law are go in peace. 
And it's now back here in this mountain. As Moses continued on and led forward by God's leading his people free from captivity, they meet back at this place. Every plague like a wave of news that washes over Jethro's ears. And he hears ultimately that, okay, they're led free from Egypt, so let me work my way in this direction. And in coming to this direction, he sends forward a messenger that gives of this news to ask the question, is it okay if we meet? Can I come and can I see you? These in-laws, they love each other. As we think of the dynamics of how the relationship came together of Jethro and of Moses, I want to ask you a question. Would they have ever met if Moses hadn't had a death sentence on his head 40 years earlier? They would have never met. Moses would have never fled from Egypt and gone around that well. And when he came around that well, he saw these young shepherd girls that were tending Jethro's flock. Remember, Jethro has no sons. Moses will be as his son. Moses is a man and he steps up and he speaks up for the women who are being mistreated. And the ladies ultimately then are able to feed all of these livestock. They're able to water them and they go back home and they tell Jethro about this guy they bet. He's like, oh, we got to go see him. What are the chances that their lives come together like this? Isn't that beautiful? Would you agree that's beautiful? What about your in-laws? What about your family? Is it beautiful that God's placed you with them? Your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your grandkids. Is that story beautiful? Because you might look and say, well, I I don't know if I want to talk about some of those things. There's some hurt there. What did, you just said the story of Jethro and Moses is, is beautiful and it involved Moses fleeing because he murdered a man. But we see beauty in their story. But often in our own family stories, we're so quick to grumble like the Israelites and mumble and judge and write off. And listen, a lot of those things, I understand there's dynamics, complexities, and pains. But we can look now at this story that's several thousand years old and see the beauty of how God was working the entire time. While in our own story, we think God has nothing to do with what happens with my own in-laws and my own relationships. But my friend, God is still working. And God in this scene is working well before Moses is able to sit down with Jethro in person once again and tell him of the peace of God that he's experienced in detail. The goodness of who the Lord is and all that He has done. The transformative good news has not been laid out on the table across from the dinner table between Jethro and Moses, but guess what? The Lord was already working ahead of time. Don't you think it's very possible in your own family and in mine But those family members that we know that are far from God, that are not walking close with the Lord, isn't it possible that this day the Lord has been working upon their lives? That He's been allowing them to catch the things they think will satisfy them, but but ultimately will not. You think it's possible the Lord is already working? Well, He was working here in Jethro's life as every wave of news would wash over for Him to hear. We say, God, give us faith to believe that is the case. 
that you're working today, even in those that seem far from you and those that are, it's almost the hardest to talk to, which is our family. Every time we've ever done a door-to-door reach out in our community and knocked on doors and prayed with people and, and had opportunities to share the gospel with people, you know what almost everyone says? The same thing with our, many of our mission teams that go out and are, are quick to speak about Jesus. Oftentimes, they'll give reports that say it's easier to talk about Jesus with a stranger than it actually is with their family members. Isn't that true? You have, and I have, little to lose with the person in the line at the grocery store. But our family, our family comes with a cost. We see secondly, as we go into verses 5-9, through that Moses' father-in-law, he knew the general details of the good news. He knew how God had certainly worked and, and, and had led him free from captivity in Israel. But when he understands them more clearly, what happens? He overflows with joy. A wellspring of joy flows out of Joseph. He is so, he's excited because he knows the living God. He has clarity. There is beyond a reasonable doubt, there is one true God. Let's look at our text here as we see this unflow. Now, their age of Jethro and Moses is probably relatively close. Unless Jethro, it doesn't tell us how old Jethro is, but... I mean, unless he's too much older than 80, he's probably ballpark of Moses' age. But they love each other. They care for each other. Look at verse 6. And when he sent word to Moses and said this, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. But Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and then they went into the tent. Six and seven are the ancient doorbell. This is how a doorbell would be done. And think about your own doorbell. Somebody rings the doorbell. I'm not going to make a doorbell noise. You're not going to get it from me. But what happens? They ring the doorbell. Let's say you choose to answer, which is almost unheard of today. But let's say you choose to answer. What do you do? Do you just stay in your house? What do you probably do, good southerner? You come right on out on the porch. And you talk to him for a little bit. And if it's a family member, how do you respond to him? You see him pull up, and you're going to come outside, talk to him, hug him. How are you doing? And are you going to stay on your porch? Now, what do you want to do? You want to go inside the house, and you're going to sit down, put on some coffee or tea, and, and just relax and talk. Enjoy each other. This is what happens in the ancient world. This is, I think, also a component of insight of what it's going to be when Jesus comes back. We get this picture of the, the he'll come and then those will be caught up to, to meet him, to be with him. There's this going out and meeting before eventually a, a coming down and in. He greets him and what does he talk about? This is humbling. Deeply humbling. He loves this man. And he talks specifically about all that Moses has done. Is that right? Look at the text. Nope. That's not right. He doesn't talk about all that Moses has done. Did he talk about how great Israel is as a people? No. What did he talk about? Verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. He chose to 
talk about the hero of the story. If there was anybody that could speak about themselves in a greater light, it would be Moses in this scene. Think about the temptation. Now, let's be honest, those of you that are... uh, I'm not going to ask that question, but uh, if you're a man in the room who has a father-in-law, you don't even have to raise your hand because you know the answer to this. How do you want to be viewed by that man, the mother of your spouse? Every one of us want to be respected by that man. You ask for approval to marry. You care what they think about you. If there was ever a relationship dynamic that Moses perhaps could be tempted to want to make himself sound impressive, to make himself more the center of the story, it would be this relationship and it would be this man. He's done incredible things. I mean, wouldn't it be tempted to try to show off? Moses still has the staff by which he's doing the the works of God. I mean, the temptation to say, can I get you some water? Boom, hit a rock and hey, there's some... But he doesn't. Moses gives Jethro, his family, the most important transformative news. It's who God is and what God has done in full detail. But not only does he tell him what God has done. See, remember, it told us that Jethro already heard that they had been led free from captivity. He knows about the plagues. But he doesn't know the full details of how and the whys the Lord had done these things. And now he's on the other side. What happens? He didn't just tell him about this news, but look what he tells him in verse 8. That Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And then what? All the hardship that had come upon them in the way. What's been the way? It's been what we've looked at for the last month and a half. How has Israel looked in the last month and a half? Have they been a people of faith? Have they been a humble, generous, kind, slow to anger people? No, what have they been doing? They tried to kill Moses, okay? Now, Jethro is a Midianite priest. You don't know all the dynamics of what that that entails. But there can be a temptation to make ourselves look better. Even as a church. So if you're a newer guest with us, we are grateful that you're here. We are. And there can be a temptation to put together kind of a, and first impressions matter, but there could be a greater human temptation to make a first date impression. Look how great you are. Cover our blemishes. But Moses does not do that for Israel. Because the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, is the hero of the story. He doesn't have to try to make Israel look better than they are. He doesn't have to try to make himself look better than they are. Because if he does tell them, then there's no transformation in the life of Jethro. He doesn't become a worshiper of the Lord God. He becomes impressed with his son-in-law and then he dies. And then you and I in our lives were tempted, when you think about the people in each of our lives that were tempted to try to impress, even if we impress them, so what? They die. 
thinking highly of us. But the best news we could ever speak about is not simply the entertaining news or just the informative news, but the good news of who the Lord is and what He's done. That's the transformative news. And because Moses loves Jethro, that's what he wants to talk about. He doesn't leave his faith on the table and say, I'm not just gonna, we're just not going to talk about it. He just shares honestly of what the Lord has done, how the Lord has provided and protected when He's been faithless and even Israel's been faithless. The Lord is faithful. Faithful. All the hardships. And so in this way, we ask God, God, would You convict us? Would You identify those people in our lives? And, and I want to think of the generations that are older than you. And how oftentimes when we think about older, so, so students, you think about your parents, you think about your teachers, you think about people that you look to and you're impressed with, that there's a temptation to want to so put them on a pedestal that we long for approval from them so much that we are tempted to not talk about the things of God in our life. And I got bad news for you. When you get older, that doesn't go away. And so people in the room that are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, would you agree that that's still a temptation? To long for the approval of the older generations? And what about us in our lives with the people that are in similar seasons? There's a reason that the, the comparison of the Joneses idea of we're in the similar season of life. They get that. I want to get that. There's this competition mindset of respect and praise from our peers. We must identify that and die to that. And make our primary goal not to impress them or to get in the approval of the previous generation. Or what about the generation behind us? What do we want from them? What do we tend to do? We tend to cover up our flaws. There's a reason we give stories that sound like this. Back in my day, and how does it sound? More impressive, doesn't it? And in the back in my day stories, we tend to cover up the flaws. None of these things focus upon the good transformative news that must be the primary center of the stories that we tell. In verse 9, look what happened. This is incredible. When Jethro has this now fuller understanding, it says in verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced. He overflowed with joy is the, the word picture. For all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that He had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro rejoiced. All the good or all the goodness that God has done. His very identity is being redefined by what's happening. So he's moved in this way of rejoicing because he's understanding who God is and what God has done. Not simply for the naming of his grandkids, but how God has been faithful that Moses has indeed been delivered. Jethro knows his son-in-law. He tended his own sheep. He knows there's no way that Moses in his own might did that to the Egyptians. His heart wells up with goodness. Jethro knows the difficulty of tending to animal sheep and livestock. And the difficulty of tending to human beings. And God gives glory to God because all the goodness of how God has provided, not simply in Egypt, but now on the other side with people that we wrestle with discontentment. And his heart flows forward with true joy. 
I want to say, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know this God, even if you know the bullet points, your heart has never brought forth with the true joy of what it is to know and walk with the God of peace. Jethro starts to get the picture, and look what happens in verse 10 and 12, third. Moses' father-in-law Jethro is so transformed by the good news that he sacrifices to the Lord a number of the sheep that Moses once tended. Jethro knew how to sacrifice animals. He did that as a priest of Midian. But he had never sacrificed to Yahweh before. This man's life is transformed from one who offered offering to the God of the Midianites to one who will now make a sacrifice, a burnt offering, the text says. This isn't speaking of his cooking abilities. The Scriptures will go on to tell us of at least five different types of offerings. You can write them down if you like. We'll be on the test next week, so do what you can. But you got the burnt offerings. And the burnt offerings deal with sin. You see, when Jethro comes to an understanding of the holiness of Israel's God, the faithfulness of Israel's God, the otherness of Israel's God, He's moved to offer a burnt offering for his sin. He's come short of the glory of this God. And he makes a burnt offering for the sins that he he knows he's committed. Later on, we'll see there's other types of offerings. There's grain offerings that are given of the harvest for which they take in. There's fellowship offerings that are taken. It seems like perhaps he also offered a fellowship offering. So fellowship offerings are not the same as, but kind of like, they would, make a, they would make this huge sacrifice, burn it up, but then eat it together as a people. It'd be kind of like a church potluck today, a little bit. And that's what he did. First, he makes this sacrifice to the Lord God, and then he makes this probably extremely costly sacrifice. We'll see it next week when we look at the further interaction with Jethro. This is one of my favorite stories in all Scripture that we're going to look at next week connected to this. Because Jethro hears about who the Lord is and his life is transformed. And then this Midianite high priest whose life is transformed by coming to know the Lord personally and walking with the Lord now, he looks and he gives wisdom to Moses and to Israel that changes them forever. He gives a fellowship offering and he eats with the elders of which there were probably possibly thousands. Then there's the sin offering. The sin offering was given for sins that you committed in ignorance, like all of us. We've done things that we weren't even fully aware of at the time. And then somebody brought it to our attention and we thought, oops, forgive me. The sin offerings Israel would offer to the Lord, realizing that they were sinning against God, unaware that they were even sinning against God. They're blind spots against the Lord in this way, in their sin. And then there was offerings of restitution, Restitution offerings were if I sinned against you and I broke something of yours or an animal of yours, then I needed to offer it back and handle it also at the context of the tabernacle or temple. And so this man is moved to understand who the Lord is. And listen, because he actually knows who the Lord is, what happens? His life is marked by worship. He goes and he makes sacrifices to the Lord. This is the pattern for 
all of believers in all of Scripture. Those that come to know who the Lord is are then marked by a life of worship. Jesus gives this picture of abiding in Him and you'll bear much fruit. This is worshipful fruit. It's transformative fruit. We begin to look more and more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit that bears forth in our life doesn't make us believers, but as those who are being transformed by the good news, the power of the Gospel for salvation, all who believe, as we're being transformed, our life begins to be marked by worship. You come to the New Testament, this is the case. Those that come to an understanding of the good news begin to be a gathering people, a worshiping people. Moses' father-in-law so transformed in this way. Look at verse 11. Look what his profession is. He comes to this good news understanding. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, this is the personal name of the Lord. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He's greater than all the gods of Egypt. He's making a statement of very simply what we would sing in our songs, blessed be the name of the Lord. When you say blessed be the name of the Lord, what he's saying here is saying greater is Yahweh than all. What he's making is twofold. And when we say blessed be the name of the Lord, listen, we're giving two declarations. Number one, he's giving a declaration that's true. Meaning, this Midianite high priest is now looking objectively as he's seen the glory of the working of God and he's saying, he's the true God. Now you students, as you get older, you go into different careers and different components, you're going to hear of people from all different faith backgrounds. And this course you're about to begin next week is going to be the same. You're going to hear of all different perspectives. And you'll have to come to a point in your life, if you haven't already, of who is the true God? And so when Jethro says, blessed be the Lord, there is no other God. He's making a confession and a declaration, a profession of faith that this is the one. Blessed be Him. You can't give Him higher praise. Secondly, what it's doing is it's setting life back in a proper perspective. For him, it seems to be perhaps the first time his life has been in perspective. We even use that as an expression when life gets really, really busy and really, really hectic or even really painful. If we have a moment of self-awareness, we slow down and say, I think I've lost perspective. Or if you have somebody that loves you in your life that could come along and say, I think you're losing perspective of this. When we say blessed be the name of the Lord, what we're doing is we're actually putting our life in proper perspective. When those that hear the bad news of sickness are able to say blessed be the name of the Lord, their life has been turned upside down, but they still have the proper perspective. When we experience a job loss or, or relationship loss or, or fraying of things, and we're able to say, no, blessed be the name of the Lord. We're saying, I don't know how piece number 9, 10, and 11 are going to fit in, but I know still piece number 1 is that the Lord is supreme. There is none like Him. And I know Him. And I know He knows me and He loves me. And He's faithful. Blessed be the Lord. There is none like Him. Jethro makes his profession and then he moves forward in a heart of worship. A profession of faith and a position of worship. It's very possible 
that someone here this morning, as it was last week, that like Jethro, you've known a lot about the Lord. You've known a lot of the details. But you've not come to understand who the Lord is personally. You've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins. You've never professed to God that you believe that Jesus is God's Son. That He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross for your sin and He rose again from the grave. And you long to worship Him with all your life. If that's you today, you mark that on a connect card. You talk to a leader who will be here at the end and say, I've trusted Christ. What's next? That's why we gather every week. What do we do? All of us get our lives and priorities just a little bit out of perspective through the week. We come together and we sing not our praises, we sing His praises. One of the worst things that could happen is if if a guest or someone comes on a Sunday morning and they leave saying, wow, that, that person was great. Our desire is that you would see the glory of the God that is setting us on fire. The God who's transforming our lives. We pray that you would taste and see that fruit in our lives. Not that life is easier, we have everything together, but we have the right perspective because we know the Lord who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. And He's marked our lives in such a way that we gather together as a people who are not identical, but we know the love of God. We know the good transformative news, and this news marks our life beyond everything. And we need each other to remind each other of this hope that we have that even marks our today. As we come into our next steps, I want to ask you a question. Who in your life in general, perhaps you would say, is familiar with the good news? They might know the the bullet points. And we're in East Texas, okay? There's a lot of people here that have an idea of, okay, I know on Easter they celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. I know on Christmas they celebrate His coming. They believe in a God. I believe in a God. But that's probably where the extent of their knowledge stops. You would say they they have an idea of the good news, but their life is not marked by a worship of the Lord. What I want to encourage you is, is will you take a next step this week with this hope in mind? That they would come to know the transformative news, the good news of who God is and what He's done. And I believe as a people, the more that we make that our prayer, the more the Spirit of God gives us the boldness to speak of the transformative news the more that we crucify in our own lives the desire to make ourselves impressive before other people. Because our greatest longing becomes that they would know the transformative love and the goodness of God. So in your life, who might those people be? And finally, I want to ask you the question in this is, our love for our family ought to lead to a courageous step to share that good news. I don't think it would be appropriate for me to end our service this morning without a time of prayer together in this way. I understand that if we spent the rest of the day with different people coming up here one at a time and sharing of the family difficulties we have or the people that we know that we love and they got all their life together it seems but they don't know the Lord. We would literally spend the rest of the weekend here. But what I want to do is I want to begin this now before we sing together with a time of prayer with the people around you, if you'd be comfortable with this. 
I'd like for you to be able to move yourself around a little bit to get with at least another family unit, another person. And what I want to encourage you to do is I would like you together to pray for a family member. It could be a cousin. It could be a distant relative, an in-law, a sibling that doesn't know the Lord. Pray for them by name. Encourage each other. And in just a minute and a half or so, I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing of the greatness of our God. that sound good? All right, let's give you some time to move around, look around, and let's just begin praying together where you're at. Well, God, we are grateful of your faithfulness. Lord, you know every name spoken, every name not even yet spoken. And Father, those in our own lives that we just take a general assessment in this time, Father, you know even the perfect details of those things. God, it's our prayer that you would do in their lives like you did for Jethro's. Lord, you would allow them to see your glory and your greatness and your beauty and the power of who you are. They would come and they would even look in our lives, God, and they would see your fingerprints upon our lives, your transforming work in our lives and our love for you. God, I pray that you would help us to guard our words with family, to give us a focus and a wisdom upon the good news that transforms. And Lord, help them to see Your love through us, regardless of receptivity or perceived receptivity. God, Your Spirit works where our words will not be able to go. God, we ask that You would bring those that are dead to life and spiritually awaken them. God, we pray for those that, are, that we love, those family members that are walking in their own ways, that are walking in perceived successes and the glories of this world. God, would you show them sooner than later the bitterness of those ends? And in comparison, show them the greatness and the glory of knowing and walking with the God who loves us and cares for us. The God who has worked salvation in Jesus Christ for us. And God, we know that if you're able to take somebody like Jethro and to match their lives up, God, there's no mistake in the family that we have. So God, give us boldness and give us persistence. Burden our hearts in continual prayer because you're great and you're worthy of all praise from all people at all times. God, change their hearts. Let the joy of knowing you flow from their life as it did in this man's life. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand now as we sing his praises?